I've been singing, well, a lot of us, I suspect, have been singing um, We Three Kings of Orient Art for a very, very long time, and I still can't fit the words in to the last <laughs> words. Um, what I did do, actually, when I was when I was very young, there were there were three of us in church were were passable boy sopranos, and we used to always every every Christmas we had to sing one verse of We Three Kings, and I always sang the one um, you know about about gold and um, gold I bring. So uh, um, I know that verse really well. The, that last verse, uh, sixty years, and I still can't manage it. Anyway, um, shall we pray before we look at God's word together? Dear Lord, I pray that um, as we look at these uh, amazing and wonderful words from uh, John's Gospel, uh, that you would uh, give me uh, the right words to say, that you would give me clarity, and that all of us would understand more about the wonder of Christmas uh, by the end of what we have uh, heard. Amen. I have to go into the... the oh, there we are. Okay. Christmas. Christmas uh, can be, I think, a little bit confusing. Uh, this was my um, word cloud that I came up with uh, during the week. Um, all the things that I thought of. I'm sure you could think of, of lots of other things when you think of Christmas. I don't know what it tells you uh, about you know me. That, that was the words that I came up with. Um, but when I think of Christmas, those are some of the things that I think of. I think it's all a bit confusing, isn't it? Um, Christmas is so many different things. Some people might say, I guess, that Christmas is all about family. Um, it's, it's a time to get family together, and of course it is. Um, some people might say it's about good food, or good cheer, or, you know, lightening the gloom in the darkness, and all these things are true. We also know that for some people, that's not going to be true this Christmas, is it? This Christmas, there are some people, even in our own country, with what we call the cost of living crisis, which I think was a, a, a brilliant labour um, marketing thing, but, you know, it probably is, you know, for some people this year, incredibly difficult. Um, and, and those things will not be true for them. Or people who don't have family that they know, that won't be true. So Christmas can be a bit confusing because uh, it's it's lots of different things for different people. And for some people, it might be thoroughly miserable. So let's, this Christmas, cut through a little bit, cut through and find out what the true meaning of Christmas really is. And that's what John wants to uh, do with us. He wants to tell us what the true meaning of Christmas really is. He wants to cut through all that uh, stuff and, and tell us what Christmas is really all about, what the mystery of Christmas is really all about. Now, there are four accounts, as we know, of Jesus' life. Um, we've got Luke's account, and we've read that this morning, uh, about Christmas. Uh, we've got Matthew's account, which we'll read this evening, which is uh, a little bit of a different focus on Christmas. And then there's Mark, and there's John. And neither Mark nor John give us an account of Christmas. But what they, what John does is he gives us an explanation of Christmas. And that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. It's worth remembering um, that uh, John, who wrote what we're going to look at this morning, was an eyewitness 
to Jesus' life, spent three years with Jesus, knew Jesus incredibly well, heard him teach, saw him heal, um, must have had, you know, all sorts of conversations with him late into the night. And he also saw Jesus die on a cross. But he also, he tells us, saw Jesus rise from the dead. And when he wrote, it was perhaps 30, 40, maybe 50 at push years later, but clearly he remembered it incredibly well. I suppose it's a bit like um, asking John Major to write about his time uh, in office as Chancellor of the Exchequer and Prime Minister or whatever. It would be similar. He'd remember it very well, wouldn't he? And if you'd seen somebody die on a cross and then come back to life, you'd remember it very well. So John gives us that account. But before he gives us that account, he also gives us an explanation of Christmas. Not an account, but an explanation. Now John wrote uh, that he was giving his account of Jesus' life and his explanation that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. I think that's pretty amazing that somebody who knew another human for three years believes that that human is God and that in him we can have life. So I think that demands our attention and that's what we're going to do um, this morning. So uh, we're going to look at um, the mystery of Christmas. The Christmas story is familiar and it's a comforting backdrop, I would say, to our traditional uh, Christmas, you know, carols with our holly and turkey. But when we look at it, I think it also becomes disconcertingly mysterious. This is uh, Fra Angelico's um, Annunciation. That's uh, the angel Gabriel coming to Mary. Um, I don't think it's particularly accurate in all sorts of ways, but it's a great painter. <laughs> The angel Gabriel came to Mary and he said this, we've heard it read already. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus, which means Saviour. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of David of the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Imagine, you're a young woman, unmarried, in a nondescript town, and you get the news that you will bear a child who will be the long-promised saviour, who will be um, the son of the Most High, who will be in the line of David, that great uh, king, and who will be eternal, in other words, will be God who will reign over his kingdom where there will be no end. You would have you would have been shocked. <laughs> You'd have been amazed. You wouldn't probably have believed it. Um, it would have gone against everything you'd ever been taught. No wonder Mary said, how can this be? And we ask as well, don't we, how can this be? Christmas is ultimately uh, mysterious. And John wants to talk to us about that mystery now, prologues. Uh, in Star Wars, you get the, the I, I suppose it's a, I think they call it a crawler prologue. 
it comes in over your head and tells you what's going to happen. And uh, of course, in in the the, the original Star Wars uh, movie, it said, I think it said, if I'm getting this right, long, long ago in a galaxy far away, which I think is brilliant, because of course you almost think of sci-fi as being somewhere in the future, don't you? And they say to you, well, this is long, long ago in a galaxy far away. Great stuff. A prologue to explain what's going on. And there's another famous prologue, which is um, the prologue in Romeo and Juliet. Now, if you don't know how Romeo and Juliet ends, um, I, I am going to spoil it for you here. So, um, so, you know, stop up your ears now if you want to if you want to avoid knowing how Romeo and Juliet ends. But this is the prologue right at the start. It says this: From forth the fatal loins of these two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life, whose misadventured, piteous overthrows do with their death bury their parents' strife. Tells you a lot, doesn't it? Tells you there are two warring families. Tells you there are two lovers from those from that warring family. That those lovers end up dying, and that as a result of that, the two families get together. So that wasn't worth reading the play after that. <laughs> anyway, um, that's that's the prologue. The prologue explains what's coming next. That is exactly what. John does in his prologue. He's going to give us an account of Jesus' life, an account based on his own experience. He's going to tell us what Jesus said and did, and he's going to tell us that Jesus died and rose again. He's going to tell us all those things, but he wants us first to have an understanding so that when we read all that, we get what it's all about. And that's what John's prologue is all about. And uh, because he was Jewish and wrote in a Jewish way, he has a prologue to a prologue. Um, and I'm going to read you again the prologue to the prologue. And the prologue to the prologue <laughs> is the bit we've already heard, but I'm going to read it again. This is the start of what um, that prologue to a prologue says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was the beginning, sorry, I'm messing this up, I'm going to read it again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's the start. Then the middle, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the end, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Like the Star Wars prologue, um, the original one, long, long ago, John goes a long time ago. In fact, he goes so far back that he goes to the beginning. The beginning of all things, the beginning of the universe. In the universe was the Word. In the universe was Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. In the beginning was Christ. He takes us right back to the beginning of time. The universe, John tells us, had a beginning. And Christ was active in that beginning. Christ was active in that creation. The baby, the man that he's going to tell us about, was there at the beginning of creation, active in what was happening. You may have heard of Armzo Penzias, who was uh, the discoverer with Robert Woodrow Wilson of cosmic background radiation, which is demonstrated to many scientists' satisfaction 
and others' consternation, I might have, have to say, that the universe had a beginning. And Arno Penzias, after he discovered this background cosmic radiation, said this, Astronomy leads us back to a unique event, a universe which was created out of nothing, one with a very delicate balance needed to provide the right conditions required to permit life, and one which has an underlying, one might say, supernatural plan. So the man who discovered, to most uh, scientists' satisfaction, that the universe had a beginning, is convinced that at the beginning there was God. He believes what John wrote, that in the beginning there was Christ, there was God created. The statistical odds against such a universe that is perfectly in balance are so impossibly high that you will notice that many scientists have come up with this concept of a multiverse. Now a multiverse is where there are infinite numbers of universes, so that it's possible that there's one that is just right for life, for us. That's what they've come up with. Let's just, let's just go with John, shall we? Let's just go with John and say, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, Christ created. The human genome is a code over three billion letters long. Three billion. Three billion letters long is the code that codes for us, for our human nature. It's packed with information, as you can imagine. We couldn't be here otherwise. The chances of this coming about by random mutation and Darwinian natural selection are vanishingly small. <coughs> infinitesimally small. Again, let's go with John. John tells us that in the beginning, God Christ was created. All things, John says, were made through him, and without, without him was not anything made that was made. The world's not a mistake, John tells us in his prologue. There is a purpose and a meaning to life. The baby born in the stable was God made man, the creator contracted to a span. It's a mystery, but it's the key to understanding life, both now and in the future. When um, when I thought uh, during my career as a teacher that I'd like to become a head teacher, one of the things that I thought I might get to do was to read in the in the carol service, the school carol service, um, John's uh, gospel, the prologue that we've just been talking about, John's gospel, because um, in all you know, the best carol service is the most important person reads John's gospel, Stuart. <laughs> because, you know what? John's gospel, that prologue to John, is, a, is not just a prologue, it's also a crescendo. And so in many carol services, it is the last thing that's read. In fact, in the famous uh, lesson of, um, lesson of, uh, sorry, service of, I'm not doing very well today, sorry, uh, the service of nine lessons and carols, uh, it is the last one, the last uh, passage that's read from the Bible. Christmas, I guess, is a, is a time of, um, uh, of carols and of uh, 
Sorry, I've lost my... I don't know... I'm not very well this morning, actually. I'm really sorry. Uh, I have bronchitis, and I'm just struggling a little bit. So uh, just give me just give me one moment. Um, right, we'll start again. Uh, it's a crescendo, that prologue, because it explains to us um, how wonderful this baby is who was born. This baby is... Uh, Christ in majesty. John describes the baby, describes Jesus as the Word. In the beginning he says, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Jewish thought, um, the Word uh, was both the way, God's Word was both the way that God communicated with men, and the way he made things happen. So in the beginning is John echoing Genesis, which starts in the beginning. And goes on to say, God said, let there be light, and there was light. In other words, when God's word goes out, things happen. As God said through Isaiah, my word shall not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. Christ the word, uh, Christ the word in other words, is God in action. God purposing things, making things happen. But God's Word is also how we understand him, isn't it? For example, we're told that uh, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. The word of the Lord came to his people in the Old Testament, commanded them, reprimanded them, encouraged them. And now John tells us that it is in Jesus that we understand God best. So he's God's ultimate word to humanity. He's the way that God ultimately explains himself to us. No one has ever seen God, John says, the only God who is at the Father's side. But he, Jesus, has made him known. And indeed he also records Jesus telling Philip, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So God's word in Jewish thought was how God made things happen. But God's word was also how God explained himself to us. And what John is saying in this prologue is that Jesus is God making things happen. But he's also God explaining himself to us, revealing himself to us. What have we seen? The light that was the, the life that was the light of men. Or as John goes on to say, we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John's readers, of course, were not only Jews, but they were Greek speakers. And uh, and they understood Greek, and they would have read the New Testament in Greek. And they would also have known that in Greek thought, the word logos had a long history of being used to describe the shaping, ordering, and directing principle in the universe. John is being really helpful, but also clever here, where he says that not only is Jesus the word in the sense that the Jews would have understood, but also in the way that the Greeks would have understood, that Jesus is what gives order and meaning and sense in the universe. In him, we're told, all things hold together. That is who Jesus is. That is who the baby was. It's supposed to be, as we start to read the story of Jesus 
in John's Gospel. We're supposed to be, I guess we'd say these days, blown away. We're blown away that the baby in the manger, the man who taught, healed, suffered and died, whom John knew so well, was the creator God who gave the world order and purpose, life and light. No wonder the shepherds worshipped if they just caught a glimpse of that. No wonder the Magi travel so far if they're, they're learning and their books have given them just a glimpse of what they might find at the end of the journey. Paul writes to the Colossian church, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That is the baby that was worshipped by the shepherds. That is the baby that was worshipped by uh, the kings. And that's the baby that John explains to us in his prologue and invites us to worship as well. So finally, uh, the meaning of it all. Christmas, I guess, for, for many people, is a time of watching and re-watching blockbuster movies whilst eating as much food as we can. At the heart of most of those movies is a battle, isn't it, between good and evil. The hero may be flawed and, confl- and conflicted, but essentially they're good, and we're on their side, we're rooting for them. Because there are clearly, we work out, sides... There's clearly a good side and there's clearly an evil side. And you know what? Most people get that. And that's why that is so common in stories and books and films, the idea of good and evil and a battle between them. And we hope, and usually we get, good winning in these stories and in these movies. John tells us something more, even more profound, much more profound about good and evil. He says this, doesn't he? In him, in Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So there is a real battle between good and evil. There is light, and there is dark. And Christ is the light in the darkness. The hero, we're told in the Bible, without flaws, the hero who was perfect, the hero who was the only one good enough to take away our sin. And the good news is that that hero, that bearer of light, wins, wins the battle. The dark side does not prevail. And what is this victory? It's the victory of life. The adult Jesus would say, whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. In Colossians, we've already uh, read the preceding bit, Paul goes on to say, For in Christ 
all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is the meaning of it all. So in his prologue to his gospel, John doesn't give us the details of Christmas, but he does explain it. He does explain that the creator God, who was there at the beginning of the universe, became a man, was born for us to live, to die, to come back to life, in order that we might have life, and life eternal. That's the amazing truth that John presents to us in these uh, first few words of his gospel. And I think it leaves us with two mysteries, two Christmas mysteries, if you like. The first one is this. How can someone who spent three years working, living with Jesus, a man, believe that he is God? How can he believe that? Well, I hope I've begun to show you this morning that it's because it's true. That baby, that man that John knew, is God. And is alive and reigning in heaven today. And how can the creator God, that God who made the amazingly fine-tuned universe that we live in, how can that creator God become a baby, born to an unmarried mother, banished to a stable, a refugee from persecution, a carpenter from an unfashionable town, a criminal crucified amongst criminals. How can that be? Well, in one sense, we don't know. But John says, it's true. And it's the most profound and important truth in the history of the universe. And he says, he says that he wrote his account in order that by reading that account and coming to believe that, that we might have life and life eternal. That's the Christmas challenge this day and this week.